0: Well, it is actually beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Um, Christmas is coming and it's coming fast and we weren't actually sure whether we would get here. It feels like it's been a long time coming. We were hoping for easing of restrictions. We were hoping things would change uh, and, and they have. We, we feel like we, we made it to the end of the school year and school finished hopefully properly because it's still got a couple of weeks to go. Uh, we can have 30 people at our house for Christmas Uh, We hoped we might get there and it looks like we will. Uh, I want to speak a little bit about hope. I feel like in our world today there is so much going on. There's pandemics, there's mental health issues, there's cultural issues, there's injustices, there's climate change, so many different things happening and I feel like what we need is a little bit of hope. You might actually hear a lot of these sorts of words, hope, joy, peace. They're really Christmassy kind of words. You'll find them in Christmas carols—you'll find them on our Christmas cards—and I want to dig in a little deeper to the word hope. What does it mean? Where does it come from? What do we do with it? As the world struggles along in its groaning and its yearning and the things that we have to navigate in life, I want to have a think about hope. Now, hope is sometimes used as a bit of um, like a wish. So. Um, something that we might hope for in the future, something we might want to occur or to happen or to be. And normal, everyday, plain old hope actually has its strength reliant on the strength of the person wishing, the person hoping. But Jesus followers, people who put their hope in the Christmas story, people who put their hope in God, biblical hope, that's actually different That is about expecting something to come about, expecting something to happen, expecting something to be, and it is based on the strength of God, not us. Sometimes hope can be wishful thinking. Sometimes hope can be um, cross your fingers, hold your breath, hope for the best. Sometimes hope can be squeeze my eyes as tight as I can as I blow out that candle and hope my wish will come true. Sometimes hope can be, you know, hoping for a good test result, or hoping for good numbers on a scale, or, you know, whatever it is that we might hope for. But I actually want to suggest that there's a real hope. There's a hope that is sure and certain, and that's a hope in God. We're going to have a look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. The Steels brought us their version. We're going to have a dig in and have a look at what the Bible has to say about it. It's in the book of Luke. So if you turn to the book of Luke and you open it up, it's Luke chapter 1 uh, and we're going to have a look at from verse 5 and onwards. So you might want to check it out uh, in your Bibles or you might want to open up a device, perhaps not the one that you're watching me on right now, that would be awkward. Open it up and have a look. So this was written by someone called Luke uh, and he wanted to provide an accurate account of the life of the person of Jesus And the place that he chose to start was when hope arrived, when hope knocked at the door, when hope landed, and it was the person of Zechariah and Elizabeth. It starts in verse 5, and it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He starts with Herod, and he starts with that on purpose, because these were dark days. These were difficult days, these were oppressive days. These were days when people were yearning for something to change. You've you got to remember, Herod was the baddie. He, he was a terrible guy. In fact, in the you know, future parts of this story, we'll read later on, Herod was the guy that actually asked for all of the babies under two to be killed because he heard that there might be another king born, and he felt threatened by that. So it looked terrible, terrible guy. So this is the background, this is the backdrop. These were dark days and there was a guy called Elizabeth and his wife Zechariah. Now Elizabeth and Zechariah both came from priestly families. So as far back in their family history as they can remember, their family were from a line of priests, so people who came and served in the temple and served God. And this passage tells us that they were good people, they were they they did the right thing, they had the right attitudes, they served in the right way and God was really pleased with them. But they didn't have any children, so that was a heaviness that they carried. And you know it it was actually a big deal for them. It it can be a difficult thing to carry at the best of times. Um, But in this season there was an amount of shame that came with it for them. They didn't have anybody who would carry on their family name, they didn't have anybody who would provide for them in their old age, they didn't have anybody who might carry on the family line, and so it was difficult. But then this really random, unexpected thing happens in the story. Zachariah kind of wins the lotto. He gets called up to actually serve in the temple. So his division were on duty in that particular time, and we don't quite know how it happened, but along the line, um, a a bit like winning, his name being drawn out of a hat. Uh, And so that particular day, it was his job to go into the temple and burn the incense for God. It was a really big deal. In, in my imagination, I think about you know, the morning when he got up real early and he got himself ready and he put on all his priestly robes and uh, Elizabeth you know, checked his hair and made sure everything was right and adjusted everything for him and said, have a great day, you, know, like, you go, this is your big chance. It was a big opportunity. It was a significant day for him to actually go in and do that. So he's gone into the temple And he's burning incense and he's saying the prayers that he's meant to say in that space. And the people are outside the temple and they're praying. And then a miraculous moment occurs. Hope arrives in a flash. This is what it says. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, hopefully not looking like the one we saw just before, but there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell on him. And this is what it says. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You are to call him John. This will bring you joy and celebration, and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be a great man in God's sight. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb and will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Wow. The angel comes in and he says a whole lot more. If you have a read through, you can actually listen to what the angel says to him. There's a whole lot more. And this is the baby who is going to go on and be John the Baptist. And the angel says to him, Zachariah, your prayer has been answered. And I reckon, I had to do a bit of thinking. Which prayer? exactly has been answered. Because it might be easy to think that John was praying that he would have a son and the angel's saying, well, that prayer. But I actually don't think so. The more I think about it, the more I think it was actually a prayer for his people to have a saviour, to have a messiah, that God would remember them because this was his big day in the temple and he was going to pray the prayers of his people because that's what mattered to him and that's what I think he was praying. He was praying that God would reach into this world and bring them a Messiah and change them and change the world, change the world from this oppressive, dark place that they were in. And then the angel appears and he says, Zachariah, your prayers have been answered and your wife Elizabeth's going to have a baby. You would think that in that moment there could have been the option for Zachariah to have said, Awesome. We've been praying this our our whole lives. We've been praying this for hundreds of years. Finally, God, we we love that God is going to do this. He's going to intervene. But actually, Zechariah has quite a different approach. He, He actually has to go via unbelief first. And his response to that angel is unbelief. And he's like, you might have your wires crossed. I don't know whether what you're saying is right. And by the way, I'm really old and my wife is uh, advanced. Very diplomatic for Azachariah there. You know, I actually think that he's gone via unbelief first because he's just not sure. It's an amazing story. I don't get it, though. You see, Zechariah had spent his whole life learning about who God was, serving God, doing nothing but being devoted to God. Yet in the moment when God says, through an angel, I'm going to do this, Zechariah has unbelief. What's going on in him? Has he forgotten all of the... He can't have forgotten because the, all of those promises, all of those stories from from you know, all of the years of the people of Israel. They would have been... He would have known them. He would have memorised them by heart. He would have known them by heart. But I actually don't think they were in his heart. I think he just knew them by heart in that moment. And they weren't informing his hope. He was a little bit distant from them being reality. Perhaps he was going through the motions. And when the moment came... He kind of missed it. He picks it up later, and we'll get to that later on. But he would have known those promises. He would have known them by heart, but they weren't in his heart. What I love about this story is it's yet again another example of God doing um, extraordinary things in ordinary places. This is what God does. He busts into really ordinary places, and he does extraordinary things. He'll often... Um, bust into a family and do something in a family as an indication of what he's going to do in the great family of the people of God. This is what God does. He busts into ordinary circumstances as a sign of what he's doing in the much larger picture. And that's what he's done here. He's bringing hope through a family to bring hope to the world there's another little side story that's happening around about the same time as all of this is unfolding in the Christmas story and that's the wise men there's some wise men further over in the east and they've read a whole bunch of scriptures and they've worked out that now is the time that those promises that God had made are going to be fulfilled so they pack up their camels and they head off to try and find this person who was to be born king and when they arrive at the place of Herod Herod calls in oh the guys who should know, the religious guys, and he calls them in. But actually, they are probably in a very similar position to Zachariah. They're just they're just not quite on top of it. I think they knew them by heart, but they weren't in their hearts, and it wasn't informing their current hope. And, you know, they delivered the information, but they weren't they weren't where the wise men were. They hadn't placed their hope where the wise men had placed their hope. Those wise men packed up everything to pursue this hope, to pursue the hope of a king. Hope is a confident expectation that because God is who he says he is and did what he said he would do, that he will change our lives because he said he will. I could hope that over Christmas I eat well, but it's not very likely. I could hope that the family doesn't end up in a fight with somebody storming off. I could hope that it's not too hot for Nana or it doesn't rain because we're having lunch outside. But in some ways, those things are wishful thinking. And I want to talk about hope, hope that is found in the person of God. We can hope that God is present to those who are alone alone. We can hope that God will work in life to transform me. We can hope that God will prompt us to be his voice and speak his words. We can hope that we will act generously in all things. We can hope that God will use us to change the world. And they're all things that are sure. We might hope for a better life. We might hope for people around us to be okay. We might hope for the world to be put right and we might hope for God to triumph. We can hope for those things because God said he will do them. God said he will. We can hope in a God who broke into the world in the form of a baby. We can hope in God putting our lives right We can hope in God bringing justice for all people. We can hope that one day this world will end well. It will end well. It is not going to hell in a handbasket. We can actually hope in that. We can hope that God will have the ultimate victory because he will. A number of years ago, when I was young and silly, because once I was young and silly, and if my children are listening... Yes, I was once young and silly, but only once. When I was a young adult, my friends and I decided to go and visit the Grampians. We packed up, we decided to stay a number of nights, and we were going to do some hiking and some bushwalking. And one of the days, we headed out and we were going to walk Mackenzie Falls. Beautiful falls where you actually walk down and down and down. You follow a precarious track all the way down the cliff. It's got the little handrails so you don't fall off the edge, and down and down and down. And we walked all the way down Mackenzie Falls, and we settled in for the late afternoon. We had a great time. We were talking, we were taking photographs, we were having a wonderful time, and the sun sank low on the horizon, and we thought life was wonderful until we realised it was getting dark. And the sun slipped away while we were down at the bottom of those waterfalls, having a marvellous time. Someone said, we probably should head back up. And so we, of course, took our sweet time packing everything up, getting going, and as we started to head out, up that windy, precarious, switching back and forth track with the handrail and then the switchback and then the handrail and the switchback, we got part way up and the sun disappeared completely and the moon did not emerge. We could not even see the person's back in front of us. We were in big trouble. We got to one point where we could actually feel the end of the handrail and we didn't quite know which way the track went did it did it double back on itself or did it actually drop off to a sheer cliff and we were in trouble there was five of us and we were in trouble so we all decided the smartest thing we could do would be to sit down and think so we sat down on the path where we were and we panicked slightly And uh, during that silence of staring at pretty much nothing in the dark, wondering how we were going to get back up to the safety of our cars, one of the people had a camera, a Kodak camera, and wound it on, because that's what you did back then. Because some of you are saying, why did not you just pull out your phones and get a torch? Didn't have them back then, long time ago. Pulled out a Kodak camera, wound it on, pointed it where he thought we were, and went flash. Oh, the thrill of hope. We knew that all we had to do was hope there were enough shots left. We We were praying for a 24 or a 36 roll. And all we had to do was come to a point where we didn't need to go, sorry, where we needed to go and we didn't know which way to go and everybody had to look a different direction and they would flash their camera and then immediately we could see that the track went that way. And so every time we got to the end of a row and we didn't know where to go, they would flash their camera and we saw which way to go. Oh, thrill of hope. We rose from our knees. We could hear the Kodak call. Oh, night divine, we made our way out. But I cannot describe for you that second, that split second of a thrill of hope when that flash of that Kodak camera went off. And our hope had been realized, and we knew we were saved. Oh, thrill of hope! There is a beautiful hymn, and it's Oh Holy Night. No, it's yes, it's Oh Holy Night. And it says, "A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel's voices, O night divine." when Christ was born. You see, the hope we can have in Jesus, I wondered what it meant to, to, when it said a thrill of hope. I wondered what it meant. But when I thought about my night there sitting in the dark, looking at nothing, wondering if we would be okay, when that flash of light went off, it was a thrill of hope. We knew we were okay. And I think that's what has happened in this story today with Zachariah and I think that is what happened in the story of God bursting forth into this world and breaking out a whole new hope for the world. That is a thrill of hope. And not just hope for and hope in, but hope that, hope that things will be better, hope that things will be different. Hope that changes us. Hope that informs our lives and who we're going to be. Not just stories like the nativity story, the story of Jesus, but the stories of old from way back about who God is and also the stories from now that we hear from each other about what God's doing in our lives and how he's present, how he's present and how he's making himself known and evident to us. Those are the stories. Those are the things that we can place our hope in. They are sure and certain hope that we can place in. I want to leave you with a a couple of things. The first thing is, if you have not found this hope of which I speak, then congratulations, today is your lucky day, because hope burst forth today. You have heard a story that God is to be relied upon. His character is good. He is who he said he would be. And in the story of Jesus' birth, he burst into the world to bring about change so that your life can be different. Your life can have a firm hope, not a hold your breath when you're blowing out the candles kind of hope, but a firm, solid, clear, reliable hope in the person of God doing what he said he would do and that's something that you need to pursue that's something you have to chase down it's not something that will easily come if you just hope you know you've got to actually dig for it you've got to look for it and you've got to learn about it and you've got to pause long enough to say God is there a moment when you are going to flash a thrill of hope for me to recognize and see and to chase down Secondly, you might be somebody for whom it's a bit like Zachariah. You know the stories, you know them by heart, but they're not informing your heart. They're not changing who you are. They're not the place that you're basing your hope on. You're basing your hope on your superannuation, your good looks, your circumstances, your career, whatever it is. And this is the moment in which you need to dig back into that place and say, where is my hope? And this Christmas is the place to do it. This is the time to dig back in and fan into flame that hope that probably is there, but it needs to be rekindled. The third thing is this. If you know hope, then perhaps you need to share hope. Every year we do a Christmas appeal at New Community. Uh, We want to be generous and buy into generosity and contribute to something that's happening in another part of the world that we actually feel like we can make a difference in. So for a number of years we've supported a project called Mulberries uh, where it's based in Laos and they plant mulberry trees and they pick the mulberry leaves and they feed the mulberry leaves to silkworms who spin cocoons and farmers can then harvest those cocoons and, and spin silk. Uh, It's a wonderful opportunity and we've done it for a number of years and we're going to do it again. So this year we're actually launching our Christmas Appeal and it's going to be for Mulberries. We're actually wanting to enter into a a three-year partnership with them. We want to do this year, next year and the year after. It gives them, in Laos, a security of knowing where they're going but it also gives us the onus of partnering with them. We want to be intentional with them. I've got a video that I want to show you because back in 2018 I actually went to Laos and I watched the project deliver some of the saplings that our Christmas appeal had raised the funds for and I met a guy and just recently, last week, he made us a video as a bit of an update of what's happened with those saplings and what's happened with his life. So check it out and then I want to tell you what you can do. I just love that story. So you know, back in 2018, he's dug all those holes and he's planted those little itty bitty little saplings, and they've now grown. Um, and he's he's making a living. He he has a number of times throughout that year where he's actually able to draw enough income to survive. Uh, and I love it. it. So for me, that that's just it shows a great deal of hope. I can actually see hope in that video. I can see in the morning when he's dug those holes and we bring those saplings back in 2018, he can see hope, you can see hope is rising in him. Um, but then two years later, two weeks ago in Lao, he stands and films beside his thriving um, farming practice, uh, pulling an income from those silkworms. You know, his hope is realised. He's actually, he is able to survive. He's thinking about things like his kids getting an education, uh, so I, I just wonder if if that is something that you want to buy into. If you want to buy into that hope, you want to participate with us, we want to raise $30,000 this year. We'd like to raise $30,000 the year after and $30,000 the year after uh, because that's not only providing new families to move into the Mulberry farming business, but that's actually also continuing to back those villages that we've already Participated with because they need ongoing training, they need ongoing support. Some of them have got one silkworm rearing house where they have the little silkworm beds and they feed them every day. They might need a second one. So, some of these funds will go to continuing on with the villages that we've already partnered with, and some of it will actually go to seeing more and more families move into this really amazing. Farming practice, which you know, it, those those trees are their native trees, to to allow they're not only helping those farmers to participate in this business of you know getting an income, but they're also making the land better, and they're you know doing all these wonderful practices, which I'll share with you over the coming weeks, um, which really fit with some of the topics that we were talking about over the last few weeks, um, with our Voices Rise Up series. So I'd love for you to partner with us. There's one way for you to give um, to this project and that will be on our website. That's going live sometime this week, so you'll be able to click on a link on our website or we'll be sharing it on social media, and you're able to give financially to that um, so that we can meet our goals, and I hope exceed our goals, because it actually makes a difference. It's bringing hope to those communities. So just thinking about this topic of hope, I love the video we watched earlier on just before I spoke uh, that said, Dear Christmas, it's not you, it's me. And I wonder if that's you. I wonder if you feel like Christmas, you've been all wrapped up in the presents, all wrapped up in the who's going to be the 30 people at your lunch, all wrapped up in how's it going to work, all wrapped up in the food you've got to buy. I wonder if we actually need to stop and get all wrapped up in hope. I wonder if we should be all wrapped up in the hope of the baby that came into this world to change everything this is the hope of the world this is the hope of my life and I wonder if it will be the hope of your life I intend to look and listen carefully for the thrill of hope that is realized this Christmas will you